Hi, my name is Kevin McDonald, and I'm declaring my independence. Independence from what? Why, negative thoughts and energy, of course. Chief among them, hate, division, and fear. You see, I know that we're all one, and together we can solve any problem, save our planet and each other. Please, join me as we come together as one and choose a better way to be. So now, let's begin with my independence report. And welcome to my independence report. It is Wednesday, which means it's Wednesday at noon, which next week is going to be Wednesday at 1. Uh, we are looking forward to that, and uh, we've got the crew here, and they, this this is going to be a fun episode. It always is. You guys make me laugh, and it's it's always a good time. Matt Shea is down there, Eric Hall, Kayla May, and I'm Kevin McDonald, and welcome, everybody. Uh, yes, he is smoking a cigar uh, in his house. He's a man after my own heart. So. <laughs> Don't tell my roommate. But that's going to linger for like a week. I've got the windows open. Oh, I see. So there. Matt, how are you today? Good. Good, good, good. And, and, and good. a man of few words. Um, um, about, Matt, how, go ahead. How many trout did you catch this morning, Matt? Actually, I did it. I just ate two, which means I have two left in the refrigerator. When I get to a certain level, I cut it off and come on, get those things eaten. <laughs> I see. Oh, good. Good. Well, at least you're not wasting food. That was oh, okay. no. No. That, that's, that's awesome. And Kayla May is with us. Kayla, how are you today? I'm good. Speaking of trout, look at that. Can you guys get a good glimpse of that? Oh, that's wow. Absolutely, how, absolutely how long huge was it? One. Uh, the mom's shoe, I don't know. My mom sent it to me, so she gave me a shoe reference. <laughs> Where did she get it? Um, they are over in Okanagan right now on an Indian reservation. What lake? Wow. Okay. Honey, I don't know. Lake Okanagan. Lake Okanagan. Probably. Probably. That, that is a big lake over there. Uh, yeah. Lake Okanagan. Lake Okanagan. So well, it's great to have everybody here. This is this is maybe without a doubt my favorite week of the hour of the week, or however long it decides to go. Um, and just so everybody, exactly, just so everybody knows, starting next week we are going to be on not we as in all of us here every day, but the my independence report is going to be on from one to four um, or more. Sadly, more probably um, uh, five, five days a week, basically. So the idea is for us to, uh, and you guys are welcome anytime you want to come, uh, because we are uh, um, intending to build this franchise into into something. We've got some incredible guests coming on. Uh, in fact, and I haven't had a chance to tell you two. I told uh, Kayla May that uh, we have booked a record label. Really, and they're going to be there's going to be like uh, twenty five or thirty different artists that are going to come on on Thursdays, Whoa. and uh, over time, and so we are going to promote their music for them on Thursdays. There's going to be country, there's going to be rock, there's going to be everything except a rap. I hope. Awesome! Awesome! So, Congratulations! So, Kayla Mays, since she showed up, everything's growing. Yes, Matt. When you mentioned rap. There's a famous country western singer that takes claim for inventing it. He and Debbie Harry from Blondie go back and forth who originated it. 
because they'll play one of their old tracks and it sort of started a theme going that way. So it's kind of interesting when you get to the basics of it, the other hands involved. I'd love I to hear that. Amazed at the information that you have. It's just it's something. It really I'd love is. To hear that. I'd love to Fool's hear that. knowledge all the way. <laughs> I mean, have you figured out why I'm single yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd love to hear Debbie Debbie Harry doing some country rap. You know, you country so she's got this great voice. It would be terrific with country music. Yeah. Well, and we it also really just does. found out. We also just found out, Matt, before you got on the call, that uh, um, Mr. Eric here was the lead singer of a rock band at one point. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. And they were Zone B. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting concept because we would sing. We did a lot of original music, um, but we would cover songs and we do them in twisted ways. Sure. So like Britney Spears, I mean, think of, you know, myself singing Britney Spears song and the chills <laughs> that would send the, uh, somebody's spine of, you know, me singing a Britney little, Spears little song. A little bit of Weird Al mixed up with Weird. it. And then, then I, I, I played tuba, like I mentioned before, and this was at a time before tubas really became popular. You'll see them on The Tonight Show and around and stuff. This was before that was happening, and I'd use it as a solo instrument. So the lead guitarist, he would play a rip, and then I'd copy that rip, and we'd exchange these rips, and nobody saw a tuba play solos before, so people appreciated what I was doing. So it didn't matter if I was good or not. I would just have to play, you know, get through the solo and people, ah, that, that's, you know. That is amazing. Or a they'd tuba? run for the exit. Yeah, or they'd run for the exit. A tuba in a, a tuba. rock band. Yeah, but, you know, and the one that I used for the solo stuff was the marching instrument. This is where the drum corps thing came in because we called it a contrabass, which worked well because it was, well, now I'm getting geeky. Because it was keyed in treble clef G, which worked well with uh, guitars, because it was also, you know, treble clef. So it was really kind of cheating as far as tuba players go, because you didn't have to. Yes, sir. Are you familiar with Leon Redbone? Yes. He certainly had his share of tuba playing. <clears throat> he did, as a matter of fact. Didn't yes, he? he did. Yeah, he, he was an oddball. Yeah, he was a cool oddball. He had a place. He, he fit. Was. Very, very intelligent guy. Well, you know what's 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 frightening, guys, is that um, I was talking to Kayla May about, and she is she is uh, about half our age, and I was telling her that uh, that the, we were going to uh, feature some music, and uh, she said, "Was well, there anybody that I would know?" And I said, "Well, this guy played with." Uh, um, um, the Bohemian, no, the uh, he played with Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and he played with Chicago. You've heard of them, right? No. So, so that's oh, Kayla. <laughs> Why are you coming out now? <laughs> <laughs> but I know you've heard their music. You may not recognize the name, but you've heard their music. Oh, that's just like me with cars. I can say that one's nice, but I don't know the name of it. It's just oh with music gosh. too. I can listen to a song, but I don't know who sings it. So make me uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I get it, Matt. My 35-year-old daughter, she's sharp as a tack. She's very current, gives me advice. And not long ago, about two years ago, hey dad, 
I heard they used to be a group called the Beatles and that they were pretty good. <laughs> and my oldest brother saw them, but I didn't know how to respond to that. Like, I know I'm getting old, but is it that bad? <laughs> they were pretty ah. good. Well, they were pretty good. I would disown her. I'd kick no. her ass out. She's no. no longer my relative. <laughs> because, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. That's so sweet. Well, and it, but it, but it's true. And see, and my boys grew up. They of course they had no choice. They grew up with the Beatles, Paul McCartney, and Elton John. Those are those are the the, the musical format that we had at the time and uh, and stuff. But That's but it, it, it's thing. gonna it's gonna be fun, and we're gonna have a have a great time. So you know what June is to me, besides when both of my boys were born. So apparently um, September is my mating season. <laughs> Uh, uh, and uh, but both my boys boys were born in in, in oh in cure that nip in the air, honey. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's you know it's getting colder now, <laughs> but uh, but also June has another uh, is a, a, another important landmark for me, and uh, that is June twenty fifth and June twenty sixth. I know uh, this about you. This is interesting. This is interesting. What's that? Well, you, you talked about the little big horn and your personal yes. experience and perspective on it. And I think it's fascinating. I don't know why. Now, now, uh, uh, Natasha <laughs> will tell you that I was there, which is why it was such a big deal. It's been such a big deal to me my whole life. And that's on my bucket list to actually go to the little big horn. To, oh, really? To, Oh yes, oh yeah. It's about we you, should do. Have, that. You, have you been there? Oh, Matt. Yes. Oh, you, you see, you, you're you're better than I am because I haven't got there yet. It is incredible how they do it, and I've met enough people in my life that said, "Oh, you got to go there," and they would each tell me their rendition. And the day came where I made it to Little Bighorn, Montana. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 it really is a fascinating story if you look at it. A hundred and see that was in eighteen seventy six. So this is one hundred and forty years later, or more, or somewhere's in there. I didn't do the math, um, but but one hundred and forty years later, we get a real sense of the actual history rather than what was being publicized and put in the papers in eighteen seventy six. Uh, when the when the massacre happened, um, go ahead, Matt. They give a fantastic presentation. They have speakers, historians that you sit in the auditorium and they spell it out. Many artifacts, and they even have artwork done by Native Americans who sketched pictures on what they saw when they watched the battle, and on and on and on about it. But I've got a perspective that I don't think that you've ever heard there. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But first of all, from the Indian perspective, uh, uh, we're looking to Eric for that. The Indian perspective of that battle, what was that like for them? The Battle of the Greasy Grass. Ah, yes. And they thought it was going to be one of their last battles. They were hoping it was going to be one of the last battles and they were going to get out of Dodge and, and go a long ways and hope they'd be done with the white man. And, of course, it didn't work out that way. 
Um, but they did, you know, look forward to the outcome of this and they were surprised by the outcome. It, it caught them by surprise. They weren't expecting this and it did work out. And, and I have to tell you that uh, they had more invested in this battle than what uh, Custer and, and the U.S. government had in mind because the, the natives were in full force, meaning that uh, the women were involved and, and the children were involved and the children may not have been involved in the battle. Some of the women fought. Many of the women were, um, oh, what's the word? They would uh, pick up some of the dropped weapons, um, reload the guns for the other warriors. They would uh, kill some of the surviving white men, um, make sure they were dead. They would tend to the wounded natives and pull them away. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, things that the white men were not counting on that happened uh, because they were so fully vested in this. And that that's uh, pretty much the start of what I've got to say. Yes. Man. George Custer proclaimed himself General George Custer, but in actuality, he wasn't a general. He was even kicked out of West Point, and he was the 7th Cavalry, correct? Uh, he, he led the 7th Cavalry, but in the, hold on, in the Civil War, he actually became a Brigadier General. Okay. But, and, but then after the Civil War, they when they redid the ranks, he became a lieutenant colonel. That's that was his his position. The Little Bighorn attack, he was supposed to wait the following day for another cavalry to come in and join him. And he personally thought, we'll have it all done by the time they show up. Well, he was greatly, greatly guessing wrong on that. He was waiting for General Terry's column to come up, and they were also waiting for General Crook. But General Crook was was uh, um, lost in the Battle of the Rosebud as these as the Indians were moving towards the Greasy Grass and the Little Bighorn. Uh, they had another battle, and that that battle people don't talk very much about. Uh, but it was at the Rosebud River, which is fairly close, and uh, um, and General Crook lost. And, and so he retreated, and you're right, um, Custer. And that's that's the big controversy about George Custer. Was he, when I was growing up, and I was telling people about him and the, what I'd read about him, and one man said, he was a glory-happy fool. <laughs> that was that was their, uh, the, the, their take on it. He was a glory-happy fool. Caleb, by the way, I want to include you. What research have you done, if any? Well, I, I just... Um... You know they were they were forced to leave their um, Black Hill Mountain for their yes. goal that they had. So that's you know something that I researched. Um, also, um, some of the weapons that um, the U.S. troops used was the Springfield um, Carbon Model of 1873, and then the Colt Single Action Revolver from 1873 as well. And so the Indians, like the weapons that were used. So yep, and the Indians had a had a Winchester repeating rifle, um, and so they actually they actually had more firepower than the uh, than the cavalry did, but uh, at that that uh, that particular battle. But but Eric is right because there were twenty five hundred Indians there, or so. Um, I think it was. Did anybody come up with a number in your research? 
Matt. 3,000, I heard. That's probably true. That, that's and probably also, true. they say if Custer didn't make his move the night before, that the other Calvaries to show up also would have lost because still they would have been outnumbered. That is my understanding. Well, the interesting thing about that was that, see, Custer had been an Indian fighter for, for a while because uh, he went out west after the Civil War. And what had happened normally was they would find some Indians, and then the Indians would disappear. The, the Indians did not stand and fight. Uh, they, 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 would, uh, they would run, and they would hide, and they would disappear. And so in, in some people's opinion, what Custer was doing was he was assuming that behavior was going to continue. And it didn't continue because there were so many of them. And so, um, Eric, what do you think? Well, well, Custer was also married to a native yes. woman, to a native woman and a white woman. He he was Gibby or Elizabeth was her was the his, white lady was the white lady. I didn't realize he had an Indian wife too. Yeah, he had a he had an Indian wife, and uh, he was a receiver of uh, many native women gifting. If you know what I mean. How rude. Um, yeah. Now, he, what what did the Indians call him? Oh, uh, um, geez. Uh, oh, the name. I forget the name. Blonde. Yellow blonde. hair. Yeah, yellow hair. Yellow hair because he yellow had hair. long, for a while, he had long flowing uh, hair that would, uh, um, that came out the back of his, his uh, hat. Uh, but uh, interestingly enough, at the Battle of Little Bighorn, he had cut his hair, so he had short hair. And he did that so he could hide himself in battle. Probably, because he yeah. stuck out like a sore thumb. And he was a guy that liked to lead from the front. He was. And many, many of those people that he was leading into battle, he knew. And yeah, knew oh, that yeah. he was going to be hunted that day. People were going to go for him. And this is something that the natives were uh, starting to tune in on, that if they could chop the head off of the, the lead beast, then the rest of the army would start to fall. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Matt. Has anybody here been to Little Bighorn, any of you? Well, when Not I yet. was three, so it doesn't really count. Okay. When they show where Custer's men had died, they all have their... Um, little grave markers out of wood and i believe that um they're white ones or whatever but custer's is the opposite colors his is in the middle of all of those men and then it says george custer where where he died yep 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 so so let me let me give you uh, just uh, a brief history of the of the battle and uh, um, and then then we can continue to talk about it because it's it's important. Um, Custer came upon the Indians and the encampment. He had he had six hundred, and th uh, this really isn't generally known. He had over six hundred men with him, and he had uh, three commanders: himself, Captain Benteen, and Captain Reno. And he did something that uh, a lot of uh, historians have said um, that he shouldn't have done. He separated his men. Captain Benteen. Uh, was in charge of the pack animals. Captain uh, Reno was going to lead a hundred men into the middle of the uh, an attack through the uh, Little Bighorn River to where the camp was on the other side, and he went up to the bluffs. 
and he was going to come and swoop down the other side, and they were going to catch catch the Indians in a pincer movement and, and destroy them at that point. Um, so I'll leave it th at the, there for. So from the Indian perspective, what happened then? Well, this is what's fascinating about this, and this is what is so interesting to me about Custer and his personality and how it carried out into war, because this characteristic of him started when he was at uh, West Point. Yes. And as you guys know, he graduated dead last, and it wasn't because he was not a capable tactician. It was because he was arrogant and he was somewhat flamboyant and, and prone to play pranks and not really focus on the military method. And when he went into the Civil War and he became a tactical master and he was at some important battles, including Gettysburg, uh, he was very successful. And when they set him out on the natives... He adapted a lot of their approaches because natives were pretty good in battle. We were just outgunned. Yeah. He tried to adapt, and this is why he broke up his groups, because he tried to uh, use the native way. Uh, what, what do we call it now? Guerrilla warfare. Yes. This was his version of guerrilla warfare. Break it up into subgroups, and uh, he was so confident and so overconfident in himself and the abilities of his army, he thought he could overcome this, and he wasn't expecting a pushback. Exactly. And he got it. So he broke this up into subgroups, and this is how his mind worked, and he got his, uh, he got his head handed to him. Sir, yes, ma'am. I was told that in the Civil War, he had made comparable bold moves where he lost many men unnecessarily, but obvious he lived through it. And he also, then he, here's a key point. He went through the Civil War and was never wounded or injured. He had several horses shot out from under him, but he was never hurt. And that became part of his legend that he was, it wasn't possible that he, it wasn't possible to hurt him because he was so special. But at the Battle of the Lake, the Little Bighorn, everything changed. Kayla, what do you think of what we're talking about? <laughs> this, this uh, it's, it's, it's intriguing to me. Inter it's interesting, you know. Um, I heard that, you know, he was also found dead with a bullet hole to his head and his chest. I know that. So that's something I looked at. Yeah, so I, now, I did pay attention. I am listening. <laughs> I'm learning. So, so, Matt, when you were at the Little Bighorn, did they, because nobody survived. Well, I take that back. Comanche the horse survived the Battle of Little Bighorn. <laughs> Nobody so, else survived. So, some, go ahead. Somebody, I think it was an Indian scout or somebody on Custer's side, opened up a horse because when they realized they were doomed, they circled their horses, killed all them, and fought to the last man. And that one of the men, I think an Indian scout, actually got inside a horse and uh, they didn't find him, and he lived to tell about the battle. That pretty much sucks. That would be hard to do. Pulled a um, hand solo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. But here, all right, Matt, so here is my synopsis of what happened. I, what, what I believe happened was that Custer was in the lead of his troops as they went to the bluffs. And as he was beginning to descend from the bluffs, first of all, Reno, which had made way across the river, and then he saw 
he had one of those oh shit moments because there were like hundreds of <laughs> Indians that were waiting for him. And it was like he had a hundred guys. And so he decided to pull back across the river, dismount, and try and 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 hold them off from there. Uh, uh, Custer was on the bluff, and he was he was coming on down. I believe what happened was he was in the lead. I believe he got shot in the chest very early on, and that that this discombobulated the his troops because they they so they stopped uh, the attack. And then they worked to protect him, and they pulled back. And that's where he ended up on Custer Hill, where he ended up uh, dying with all the guys around him because he was actually mortally wounded, but he was still alive. Until his brother, Tom Custer, either his brother did it or he did it himself, shot himself in the head. Um, he shot himself in the temple because he he did not want to live to, be, to, to have... To be to be um, uh, hosted by the Indians because they would have roasted him and hosted him, but uh, <laughs> uh, so, well, I, and I don't know if they if they said that at the uh, um, at the memorial memorial or not, but I I really honestly believe that that's that's what happened. Well, they did spike his ears. They did well, and they also took everybody's clothes, and they also did something with with their private parts because they didn't want them to reproduce. Matt, yeah, go ahead. It was National Geographic that did a sensational article about Little Bighorn many, many years ago. And also, they were involved with up unburying the dead soldiers and giving them a more proper burial. So you see their rifles, you see their boots, their jackets, the cavalry, the military stuff. And they said it was in such a state of panic that they started putting the wrong size bullets and the wrong rifles and jamming them because it's what you're saying, Kevin. Um, everything became topsy-turvy. The lead dog was gone. They're coming down and your life is ending. And also people pointed out to me that they put markers where each U.S. soldier died. And so you see the cluster around where George, where, where Custer was, but you also see a trail where they tried to get away, but they didn't make it very far either. Right, right. And they were they were there to they were trying to protect him um, because he was their leader and and he had never been shot before. And so this was this this was a great big deal for them. And there was no they weren't there wasn't a second in command that was used to taking charge if one guy fell because Custer was the guy. So go ahead, man. But again, they realized that their number came up, so they surrounded themselves, barricade, killing their own horses, and just fight it out to the end, but greatly a losing battle. Greatly. Well, they, and they had no choice because they were surrounded. Yes. They, had, they been able to, had they been able to get away, they would have, but they, they, could, they couldn't. And, and The ones that tried, it's marked where they died. Yes. Although, so. here's a trivia fact for you. Where's Custer buried? In the ground. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, he's not. He's no. What physical location is he buried? Arlington? The first time or second time? Very good. The second time. Thank you. Thank you. Arlington. <laughs> Arlington. Yeah, they 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 uh, they buried him and then they uh, exhumed him and then they took him to Washington and the end. That's where he's buried. 
Um, so you guys, you guys did your research. Good I, job. I should point out. I should point out when I said they spiked his ears, they actually put stuff in his ear. They put sticks in his ears. Yeah. Because they wanted to do that symbolically because he was not listening. Yes. And they did that. Now you you know um, um, Indian spirituality. If they believed that if you if when somebody died, if you would cure the problem that they had in life, like not listening or speaking too much, they might rip out his tongue. <laughs> or if they wanted to keep make Boy, sure that trouble. <laughs> <laughs> or they, or, <laughs> you got Kayla. She's now putting juice up her nose. So anyway, uh, but uh, th that was uh, um, um, what, they, what they would do. Or if they didn't want you to reproduce in the afterlife. <laughs> Much like the women now. <laughs> <laughs> There's very little so difference. Pretty much all my girlfriends from this, this lifetime. <laughs> no, don't do that, baby. <laughs> So, so from the Indian perspective, though, Sitting Bull and, and Crazy Horse and the other leaders uh, had had a uh, um, a wonderful time, uh, and they and how many people were killed? How many? Matt, did they say how many? How many Indians were killed? Bro, oh, Kayla knows this one. He's got one. She's got one. I wrote it down. Um, Two hundred and sixty-eight dead from our side. Um, 55 went home injured, six died later. Um, it was four Crow Indian scouts that were killed and at least two um, Arcaria Indian scouts that were killed. Yes. and and uh, But the Indians did not suffer because Matt's right. Uh, when in at Custer's column, there was they were in such disarray that they were not organized enough. And so the Indians actually did not lose. Uh, you know, an Indian once said that who was there, that they had probably 60 dead, um, which was uh, an, an amazing feat, uh, considering. Matt? The artwork and the little sayings inside the museum, they have a little bighorn. One of the Indian warriors said, it was like a stream with the little pebbles being surrounded by the water. That little pebble represented the American soldier. That's how they described it. And something else I want to point out, Little Bighorn was basically the grand finale, the last hurrah, because shortly after that, all due respect, the Indians cooperated where they were now being transferred to because much of the same way they outnumbered Custer, now they're going to be outnumbered. So they played their cards out and lived to accept the reservations and to make what they could out of it. And some of them actually made it to Canada. Yes. Which is, which yes. is where Sitting Bull, Sitting Bull made it to. He was their spiritual leader. It was the battle that got the full attention of the U.S. Army. Yes. Yes. Full and focus. And it was the last last draw because Kayla's right. They um, we had the U.S. government signed a treaty with the Sioux, uh, the <laughs> Okalala Sioux, that they could have the uh, Black Hills as their as their. Uh, um, <laughs> Sorry, I always laugh when I always laugh when the U.S. government says they signed a treaty. Yep, 
and, and they, natives, you know. They said, well, there's a bunch of hills over there, and there's nothing on them, nothing in them, so you mm -hmm. can have that area. You can have that. And until somebody showed up and panned for gold and found gold, and they said, oh, did we say the Black Hills? No, we meant the Brown Hills. It's over here, it's over, or the Brown Plain, you know. That, so, so that was... The Indian that was good land for the Indians to have, and then they took it from them again and again and again <laughs> and again because because it wasn't convenient for us to do that uh, for for the United States government because they couldn't keep the settlers out and and these guys were going in looking for gold and they wanted to settle the place and and uh, so it, it that was. That was, you know, they call it Custer's last stand, but in reality, it was Native Americans' last stand. Very go, nicely said. Go west, young man. Yeah, nicely said. Very nicely said. If, if I may be so bold to say something so racist, but this is what's so convenient about black people as slaves. Because we took them from their land mm -hmm. and brought them here. And you cannot do that with Native Americans. Even though there were some Native Americans that were made slaves. But you could never pull that off as successfully as you could by pulling somebody from a whole different continent and making them slaves. So the only thing that this government could do, that government could do, was make uh, somebody of another color from another continent slaves bring them here and make them slaves then that's that's very true and that had been going on for 400 years uh kayla i actually did a speech um what was it Six, sixth grade for martin luther king jr i made the mistake of telling my mom she had to write write my um essay for me well it got me nominated to read a speech for sixth grade but I had to memorize the speech for Martin Luther King Jr. Is that all right if I say it, Kevin? Yeah. All right. Very it cool. is sad that people judge others by the way they look, but that doesn't count. What counts is what comes from one's heart. My mother raised my sister and I to treat everyone the way in which we would like to be treated and not to leave anyone out as we all have feelings. That was now. Do, do you remember which speech that was from? Um, Martin Luther King Jr. That, no, no, that, was just, that was just something we typed up and wrote it together. Free speech. Mm -hmm. that, that is, and and that is, you know, we had we, and when I say we, I mean white people have had a problem with people of color in all facts of life whether they be slaves and black people, whether they be Native Americans, that we wanted to take their land and because we were more powerful, had bigger guns, there were more of us and, and stuff. And it really is a shame that we've got, and I really think, and I love your guys' opinion, I really think that we need to re-look at the history books. Um, there was a, as a matter of fact, there was a massacre that happened uh, on Memorial Day. Yes. The 1619 Project talks about, talks about this, and this is why that is so important, because the Greenwood Massacre, it is so clear that there is systemic racism, because 
this beautiful community of successful black people that had their own successful community in church. Didn't they call it the, the Black Wall Street? Black Wall Street. They had their own systems uh, that uh, their businesses were highly successful. Their motel business. They had art going. They had successful spiritual business things happening. And they were attacked by a mob of white people. It was supported by white people that had airplanes that were dropping bombs out of those planes onto these businesses geared specifically to take down any kind of wealth. This was an attack. This was an a highly organized attack to bring down this successful community of minorities, of black people, to take away their wealth because they were gaining ground. This is what is so significant about the 1619 Project. And I understand why it upsets people because the way it's written, it's written in a way that would offend people that want to defend slavery, or even to put it softly in the best light possible, the economic system of slavery, where you build an economy based, an agrarian culture based on slavery. That's the nicest way you could put it, because you don't have to pay those people any more than paying them food and minimal, minimal care. And you can take that money and put it into <laughs> infrastructure, which includes beautiful homes and, you know, some other, you know, niceties for the white people to develop a culture, but nothing else. And 1619 addresses that. And it doesn't, and 1619, as you know, is the year that the first American slaves were established. And not only just uh, black people were uh, owned by white people, but I understand that there were some black owners that owned some black slaves as well. So it's all inclusive. Yes, sir. It is a twisted path, and we develop out of it. The first slave owners were black people, and it was the Dutch merchant marine that one was bartering, bartering with Africa. Part of their um, bartering system was selling slaves. And so the country started to sell slaves to merchant marine that carried them over here. But it, it was still a wrong thing to do. And something else I'd like to point out is you look at cities throughout America and they're either Native American or Hispanic names, Seattle, Los Angeles, and so forth. There you go. There you go. That's, that's true. That's true, but uh, your but your point is well taken. Now, the, this remind us again of the sixteen nineteen group. What is it that they are looking? Are they looking for reparations? Well, and this is that's the tricky word um, because there is a certain amount of that that uh, people are concerned that's going to lead to. What they're after is clarity because we weren't taught about this Greenwood massacre. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming all of you guys went to a public school, right? Never heard of it. I didn't hear about it until okay. I was in my 50s. There you go, neither did I. And if we went to private school, I could almost understand it. Because never private schools would have their own agenda. But private schools, we should be fully aware of the aspects of American history, all aspects of American history. Dark colored, uh, I mean, ugly colored or brightly colored it should all be in there 
So the 1619 Project is just trying to create an awareness and is painting a picture of what actually happened with slavery and the civil rights movement. Takes it all the way up to present day, present day uh, happenings. And it's very insignificant. And it should not be uh, characterized as something else. It just It just shouldn't. It should be accepted for the reality of how we treat people for the simple profit margin. No, I agree. Now, Kayla, you come from a different generation than us old farts. Uh, do you find that, that your contemporaries have a little bit different viewpoint on, on race and race relations? <sighs> I, don't, I don't even know if I really even want to get into it, truthfully. Um, <clears throat> I wish more people would be more open and understanding to what happened i think in eighth grade for me a big life changer movie that i was um had to watch in school was roots and seeing that changed my outline of everything um and how i look at things today so. do, you, do you guys remember when that first came out every sunday day. night every yeah, sunday yeah. night yeah it was it was something that we had not seen on in in america at that point uh it was it was a a real eye-opener for a lot of folks it, it was, was so horrible. graphic so graphic uh, that scene where they're pulling people from africa and they're making a decision about how many they could keep alive on the ship so they take the chains and they're waiting them and they're thinning out the herd by just throwing them over the side and they've got these naked bodies being tossed over and they're trying to swim against the weight of those chains as they're uh, sinking down below the, the sea. It was horrifying. It's, it's amazing what, you know, and it's, go ahead, Matt. I think it's good to mention the date when we talk about the Greenwood Massacre, it was 1921. 1921, there we go. This year my dad was born. It is uh, part of our history that that just like just like the Native American history, it's something that we should be teaching our children about, so that they understand the complexities, and that it wasn't just because uh, the books I read about Custer when I was a kid, as an example, were that he was a wonderful, exciting dude, but he was not necessarily because uh, he also had blood on his hands. He attacked an Indian village and and killed men, women, and children in the in that village at one point as well. So he wasn't, but he he, he wasn't, and none of none of them were. Uh, they they were interested in gaining the land. They wanted the Indians to just if they had their way, they just wanted the Native American population to just go away. They were, they were inconvenient. They wanted to snap their fingers and have us be gone like Q from Star Trek. <laughs> exactly. exactly you know this this is the horrible thing because i can understand the white uh, uh the white establishment's point on this because they're fearful that uh, we're learning to hate america and when i read these things i don't hate america for this i don't see anything 
Mm, I'm going to I'm going to say this carefully because this is pretty damn ugly what we're talking about. This is as ugly as it gets. It is. But what they're striving to do is a pretty damn beautiful thing and it's going to be achieved someday. I have a lot of faith in the outcome that uh, we're not there yet. It's going to take, I don't know how many more generations of, uh, of people to actually settle the dust. But I have faith in the Constitution. Because if there was ever a document written that covers all ground, I consider it, not only do I consider it one of the finest pieces of literature ever, ever written, it also serves as one of the finest pieces of art ever painted. It transcends every philosophical idea. This is something to strive for. This is something that is worthy of people dying for. This is something with every step that every person takes and every person suffers from, the outcome from however many hundreds of years that it's going to take for us to achieve. If we achieve that, if we stay focused on on this and make it happen in the way that it's supposed to. It's going to make the difference of the survival and purity of humanity. We will be the creatures that we want to be. And that is not something that white supremacists should be fearful of. They should accept the ugliness that we suffer through to achieve this as just part of the struggle. It's the journey. Well said, young man. Well said. Uh, man. Thanks for calling me young. Eric, I got a question for you. In regards to all parts of the world and different standards of living, should America put itself to self-sacrifice to go into other cultures that have been that way since day one, is it ours to get involved in an effort to help foreign aid or whatever? I love that you asked that question, Matt. And, you know, I think of those tribes in the Amazon because there's still tribes uh, that have not had contact. And when airplanes fly by or helicopters come by, <laughs> they sort of aim their, their, uh, Bows and arrows at them and shoot at them, you know, and blow their poison darts at them. Good for them. And no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We should let them be. And I say that for this reason. Anthropologically, they're a study. They're outside of the mess that we've already created. We're a philosophical tool that was started by the Roman Empire, that was tempered with Greek philosophy, that was enriched by capitalism. So we have a mixture in our souls that is complex and deep. And we have a drive from this uh, frontal lobe from generations, hundreds of generations, of trying to achieve something that we can't neglect now. It's already upon us. 
So we should look at those cultures like uh, the Aborigines from uh, Australia and the guys in the Amazon and just take a deep breath and go, thank God they're there. Because someday we're going to have the technology to sneak in a camera and recording device and watch them on a daily basis without them knowing and understand our spiritual parts and use that information as something that can enrich us. Because it's always going to be the old ways. It's always going to be the old ways that's going to make us better human beings. Go ahead, Matt. When you say that, do you mean everything? Uh, what about supplying food and so forth and medicine were needed? Man, you ask tough questions. That's my last one. <laughs> I hope you keep them coming, man. I really like what you do. No. No. They... I understand that, um, like, for instance, these Amazon... These Amazon tribes, they've already lost, some of them have lost 80% of their tribes. So like 20% now are existing from their original numbers. And the 80% have either broken off to go off into uh, deeper parts or other parts of the Amazon to keep away, uh, keep away people from encountering their tribes, protect that tribe. And these tribes are going to have to suffer on their own. And here's my answer to why we should not. These tribes that have not encountered have survived as long as we've been around. They've, you know, they've made it through the Roman Empire. They've made it through uh, European settlement. They've made it through the American settlement without the benefit of modern medicine because they know how to suck on a turtle mouth and get all the medication they know how to get. So they're probably more advanced at medication than we are. They can, you know, uh, find the right orchid and have, uh, you know, cure whatever their version of the common cold is. Well, that brings up an interesting point, though. What about um, Africa in parts of it that a dictator has taken over and they've decided that they're going to wipe out a competing tribe, uh, which is actually what's happening there now? Uh, should we, as as people, um, make the decision that we are not going to allow that? Kayla, what do you think? I, I if they need if they want the help, then allow the help to be helped. But if they don't, then let them thrive the way they've been doing for years. Don't don't ruin something that they've been doing. It's a pattern. It's a cycle that they keep repeating. Maybe we should follow their examples. Just saying. Very nice, very nice. Um, I would throw out there also that as long as we, as a people, allow 16 million children in this country to go hungry, we have got a, a, a job to do here to take care of our people, to make sure that everybody's educated, everybody has a shot in life so that we can all live um the, the american dream and uh, do you guys anybody disagree with that nope. no i don't and if we can if we can do that as as a people 
to work together. And because, you know, <laughs> I, had, I had to laugh. Um, uh, Eric is a bus driver. I used to be a bus driver. We see, and you, every day on your bus, not, not so much in the, in the land of COVID, but before COVID is struck, we would see, and this is, and I'd like your guys' opinion on this one. Um, we would see an African-American lady with three or four kids or two ladies with six or seven kids and stuff. And you don't see, you know, white people with that many children. And that's why some of the white people are frightened because we're becoming a more mixed society. Uh, we're becoming a blended society more so. And, and some of the folks are scared because change is hard sometimes. Um, does anybody disagree with that? You know, I remember a civics study back in junior high school with Mrs. Lee. <laughs> Great teacher, Mrs. Lee. She was. She was a beautiful Chinese woman. She was tall. She was almost six feet tall. Wow. Yeah. She was kind of, she was stunning too. And she talked about population growth back in, gosh, that would have been the early 70s. And she was saying, uh, Latinos would outpopulate uh, white people by I forget what year, but it was pretty much now. And America would fundamentally change. And we discussed this. And quite honestly, I was a little bit sad about the whole thing for I don't know, whatever reason. I was a little bit sad. I thought America was going away, but uh, I didn't know anything about Mexico. And I was listening to her talk, and and I was envisioning America as a whole different place. And you know, as a kid, you don't you don't realize uh, you don't realize that a culture as uh, strong as a country that we have is going to survive population changes, changes in color. Uh, you know, we've done wonderfully with the influx of uh, soul music. Where would we be? without James Brown, without Tower of Power. Look at Tower of Power. That is a, forgive me, oh, I'm going to, this is a white man's version of soul music. Forgive <laughs> me. Forgive me. But that is some of the greatest, uh, like Cameo. Think of Cameo. You guys are familiar with the group Cameo? Mm, I'm not. Oh, they're they're definitely a black uh, soul group. Um where would we be without soul music, jazz music? They say jazz music is America's greatest gift to the world and in our art. Where would we be without that? Um, let's talk about Latinos' con contribution to religion. They're strongly Catholic. They are strongly Catholic. So you think about the fundamentalism that Catholic religion offers. Americans like to think of themselves as fundamentalists when it comes to religion, specifically Catholicism. So why are not these things embraced rather than feared? It is simply the color of skin. It's not because of the... Uh, uh, it's not because of the ethno energies that these uh, uh, cultures are presenting. It's simply what we see, not what uh, Kayla uh, so eloquently said just a few minutes ago. It's, 
It's a hard conversation. Go ahead, Kayla. Sorry, I just, I just don't. I, truthfully, my opinion, I really don't think we should be judged just because our skin color. It just means yeah. they have more melanin than we do. If you take anatomy, if you learn about chemistry, if you learn the back history of our bodies, you know, we are all made of the same darn thing. Our hearts are our tickers. You know, we all have the same thing. We all bleed the same color. You know, the only thing that's different is. People's pigments are darker than others. We are all one. And if people can see that we are all one, everything can change. We should utilize and take things in. That's right. And learn our expansions on what the world should be. We should take back it to our past um, history that we have and learn from it. Because quite frankly, we've got our heads so hard in the ground right now. We don't know anything. You know, so and we, we're all one. We are all the same color, no matter if it is darker nor lighter or albino or anything. We are all one. I could care what less. I, I look at anybody and everybody. They are family to me, no matter what their color is. Boy, we wound her up, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, because color, color to me is a big thing because this old, this Black Lives Matter, we all matter. Matthew. Kayla. I agree with you 100%, and I always use my own words, as you do, to say the same thing. And if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose by crediting that we all come from the same source and everybody's a good kind of difference. We're all one big family and nothing else. Yep. You, you did very good there, kid. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. I will say one of the most fun bands I played in was a polka band. <laughs> Those white Germans know how to party. <laughs> they love their beer. They, they love their beer. They pass that around, and that was the greatest time that I ever had at a band, besides drum corps. <laughs> well, and you've been you've been a musician your whole life, and and so you are you're familiar with the, with the past of you know of people like you, James Brown, and people like uh, oh uh, uh, Little Richard. Which, which really were the, the, the foundation of modern rock and roll or the rock and roll era. And I played in orchestras. I played in Cascade Symphony, which is the Everett Symphony now, I think. And most of that is German music, Australia, Austrian music, I mean, Bach. And, and these things are significant. These things are significant. And you talk to any rap artist, you talk to any rock and roll, you talk to the Beatles, they're fully aware and they listen to these people. They take it very seriously and there's a reason why. I don't know if you guys spend a lot of time listening to classical music, but if you do, you would understand how gorgeous it is and how fundamentally it feeds the soul. And the interesting thing about that is that it feeds all of our souls. Yes, it doesn't is. matter what our color is or the universal right. language. Yes, it is the universal language of love. That's right. That's right. Even tuba players fit in. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Not all the time. <laughs> as long as it Thank doesn't you, end at, at this time at band camp. Let's not end it with this. This one time at band camp. There Some of those stories are so real. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't imagine you, Matt. Uh, saying, I'm going to play the tuba. 
<laughs> they got to make one big enough for me first. Yeah. <laughs> so, Eric, what, what was it that you decided that you wanted to play the tuba of all things? <laughs> well, I had braces put on when I was in eighth grade, and I was playing baritone then, which is a different kind of, well, it's, a, it's like a trombone but with vowels. It's the same voice as a trombone but vowels. And the mouthpiece is smaller. So I needed a bigger mouthpiece. And so I switched to tuba. And it just seemed to sort of make sense to me for some damn reason. And that's what I ended up playing. You know, and then I went to, I, I started taking private lessons and, you know, I had a blast doing it and took it seriously. And I, I went to school for a little bit. I went to Cornish for a short time playing performance jazz tuba and uh, realized I was too young to be taken uh, paying that much for uh, college for you know somebody as immature as I am so I quit that real quick <laughs> well you know thank God for for some miracles because uh, trivia trivia quiz for you uh, what was the first instrument that Paul McCartney was given a tuba a trumpet. Oh, a trumpet. How cool is that? He traded, it, he traded it in for a guitar. Because really? with yeah, with a trumpet he couldn't sing. Oh. So yeah. Was, so was he the guy that played on Uncle uh, Uncle Albert? Yeah, did he play on Uncle Albert? No, that yes, that was his song though. We're so sorry, yeah. Uncle Albert at yeah. Owsley Hall. That was in that. What album was that from? At the speed of sound, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Ran. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. As a matter Amazing. of fact, a real trivia quiz for you. Pick a Beatles song. Anybody? Pick a Beatles song. <laughs> Long and Winding Road. Long Ooh, and Winding Road song. was uh, on. Uh, uh, let it let it be. Second side, third song. Yes. Jesus, God, at one time that was the most recorded instrumental that everybody was doing instrumental sympathies on that one. Yeah, no kidding. It was. She's typing it up, looking for for a middle song. <laughs> she's got to spell it wrong. <laughs> So, uh, so that see when I grew up, when I grew up, I had all the Beatle albums and and stuff. As a matter of fact, when my sister decided one time that she wanted to really get me, um, she she scratched a Beatle song or a Beatle album. It was it was uh, um, Hard Day's Night, oh. and because she was angry with me, so she scratched it against it, and it was like that hurt. That really did hurt. So brutal. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, yeah. the, I'm, the, they were my era, so you guys are a little younger. So, and the the, the interesting thing is that four years, uh, Matt, that separates us was everything in because the Beatles were only around for seven years, and popular for seven years. They played longer, uh, but they were like from sixty to seventy. Matt, you would remember the summer of love. I believe it was 67. That's now, correct. I was a diehard Jim Morrison and Doors fan. He Oof. staged his death many times. And when the song Light My Fire came out, 
That was his brother's favorite song, but he thought his brother died years ago. He didn't know that was him singing it. His dad, in the meantime, was an admiral for the U.S. Navy Task Force in Vietnam. They thought their son died years ago. They didn't know he was the front man on that song. Whoa. How old was Jim Morrison when he died? 27. Dang, I thought I'd get you on that one. How old was uh, Jimi Hendrix when he died? We're doing the 27 Club. <laughs> Janis Joplin. As well, correct. Okay. Yeah, yes, she did. And uh, did Cass Elliott die at 27 as well? I'm not sure, but my God, her and Patsy Cline, my gosh. She was. She had the most incredible voice. Yes. Um, it, was, it, was, it was just. And another one uh, that is a little bit later would be Karen Carpenter that had such a magnificent yes. voice. I miss up. her, man. I miss her. Could you imagine if she was still singing? Oh, she, her oh, voice was going to last forever. Unfortunately, yeah. you know, and one of these days we got to, we should talk about things like that, of, of bulimia and, and anorexia and, and stuff like that. Obviously, none of us had that. <laughs> we could probably <laughs> use that for a week or two. <laughs> it's called the fasting. Come on now. Fasting. I won't be quick about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, When Karen Carpenter went solo, she wasn't with her brother Richard anymore. Somebody wrote a review on her first concert alone, and they made some insulting comments about putting on weight, and that's all it took. It made her go anorexic off the charts. But it was based on a review, a critic getting a little nasty about things. Uh, apparently, apparently, my my uh, Cass Elliot died at thirty two, and my sister's taking exception to the fact that I didn't touch any of your Beatle albums. She says, "So we'll have to we'll, we'll we'll be arguing about that down the road." So people didn't understand Karen Carpenter's state of mind. They didn't no. understand how how quickly she how sensitive she was towards that, and I wonder if the critic would have said what he did if he had known no he would not have yeah he well, was she is one of the poster children when that started to come out because prior to that it was really not something that people talked about much uh was ana anorexia and bulimia and all of that i consider her one of the best musicians in music if you ever listen to her she is perfect in just about everything she does. And I think of her in a class of a singer that is just pure of voice, because I also consider Whitney Houston as a perfect singer, but in a different way, because Whitney Houston was terrific at ornamentation. She would add a lot of trills and movement that uh, only she could pull off in a way that would keep things moving and, and contribute to the words that and the music that she was expressing. Mariah Carey, and I say this with a certain amount of reverence because she is also very good, but I thought she overdid the ornamentation. I thought she was so good with her voice that she kind of used the ornamentation as a hook. Now, Karen Carpenter was just so pure of voice. She yeah. could make a natural sound and just subtle movements of a vowel express everything that she needed to express in that voice. It was just, it's amazing. I love listening to her sometimes. Just close my eyes and let it play. Isn't it sad that we've lost so many 
really, really talented people way, way, way too early. Because and, and even Michael Jackson, who was who oh, was a man. very unique talent. And I consider uh, him hair music. Music from yeah. God. Yeah. Or him or, and Mozart. Him, or him somebody Mozart. like Yeah. Or somebody like a John Lennon who got shot yeah. and killed. That's people like that should not die. George Burns, John Lennon. Yeah, Karen Paulette, <laughs> Paulette had something <laughs> to say. Paulette, she says, you, you kids really ran the gamut today. I've enjoyed this one much, and uh, thank you, Paul. and I've enjoyed it too. And uh, uh, given that, I could, you know, I could sit here and talk to you guys for hours, but I have got a gentleman coming up. His name is David Essex, and at two o'clock. I'm going to do a live interview with him, and he is a counselor and a uh, uh, a uh, life coach, and he's got a number one bestseller out, and he's really, really cool. So I get to do that. And Kayla, you're welcome to be on that if you choose, um, and because he he would be he he's going to be a fabulous interview. Uh, so I'm going to have to wrap this up, guys, because I've got to prepare for that. But uh, this is. This is I really really enjoy. Um, if I could pay the three of you to be here, except for Matt because he's a rich author. <laughs> well, don't hesitate. <laughs> you, make, you make too much money driving a bus, my friend. I can't afford you. I've got jury duty next week, by the way. Maybe they might choose me. They may look at me and say, "Bye." What what, what day does your jury duty start? Uh, the seventh. And then if they keep me around, you know, whoever, yeah. who knows? Only only if you get uh, a trial, and, and most people don't. I'm going to wear my Star Trek uniform. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt, uh, we've had a wide-ranging discussion. Uh, give us your final thoughts. I absolutely love having Kayla in the mix. I love your courage, your hindsight, what you've got to say, the you fully understand you and eric from day one incredible you share cake i like that <laughs> don't do let that. that get out man don't let that get out <laughs> you have a marvelous job thank you for having me thank you oh I, always matt you 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 add a levity you have some great information we love having you here and by the way kayla's married so knock it off all right oh <laughs> now well now you tell me <laughs> 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 Matthew, I'm sorry, Eric, your turn. Oh, thank you. Same, same to you, Matt and Kayla and Kevin. I really enjoy my time here. It's always terrific. I love the conversation. I love the topics. I love that we can start out with a uh, little bighorn, the greasy grass war, and talk about the 1619 project and Karen Carpenter. I love that it just flows to everything that's important in life. It, it does, and it's it's just it's heartwarming. It really is, Kayla. Um, thank you guys. I love you all. Thanks for having me here again. Um, I'll continue to be here with you guys. I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> Good. I don't want to go nowhere. So thank you. Well, you, you are most welcome and you add a lot to it. So, and, and you, you, it's, it's wonderful for you to be here and we truly enjoy it. So as uh, remember coming up at two o'clock, is uh, David Essex, and we're going to have a nice interview with him, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and I hope you'll stay with us for that. On behalf of Matt Shea, by the way, hold on, Matt, I forgot to, you need to go to mattsheabooks.net 
and uh, you can pick up a. Uh, there is a little one. Um, Matchebooks.net, and and he's got some audio books, and he's got nine regular books or eight or so, some silly number. My God. And uh, and my independence report. It's on there. That's right, dog on it, and uh, and so is uh, Elmo, the book that I voiced for you, and and that was a lot of fun for for me to do. So, go there, go to my independence report, Eric. Where do we want to go to get you? You need you need to come up with a website, this young man, I, and put all I, your writing in it. I I do I do have a WordPress uh, WordPress site, transittransients.com. Oh. And that's where I keep most of my writings, transittransients.com. Very good, because you're going to have to, uh, you're going to start a blog. As soon as they can figure out how to get my website up, you're going to contribute to the blog. As Matt, you're also welcome to, and Kayla, always, you're welcome to. And Kayla, any last thoughts? We did you before. How about, how about your lovely daughter? Ray, do you want to say something? You want to say hi? No. <laughs> she said meow. Meow. <laughs> now she's the same age. When's her birthday? Hey, Ryan. February 5th. Oh, so she's just a little bit older than my uh, three-year-old granddaughter. Whoa. And they and they, they both scream the same way. That's, <laughs> I think three-year-old girls are allowed to do that. So that's that's great. Again, I'd like to thank everybody, and just just remember, number one, be kind to one another because, like I say at the end, each other's all we got. But also, um, don't have any regrets. Live your life completely, fully, and at the end of it all, be able to say, I did every damn thing that I wanted to do, and I'm out of here. So with that, thank you, everybody, and you guys have a great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, and thanks for listening to this episode all the way to the end. Hey, pretty cool. Hey, don't forget to follow us so you can receive regular updates and new posts. And remember, take care of each other because each other's all we've got. See you next time on My Independence Report.